Number 140 of the Better Yet Podcast. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet! The long-form interview podcast featuring musicians and music writers. Talking about influence. Talking about writing. And talking about being around. Dead Man's Pop. The Placemats. Glorious new box set that came out a couple weeks ago. Centered around the replacements, don't tell a soul. A package that will completely change your perspective on. I wouldn't call it a divisive record because doesn't divisive imply like a somewhat even split? I think most people don't regard "Don't Tell a Soul" too highly. Certainly not in terms of the production, but this remix elevates so much of what felt like the lesser material on the record there were already some bangers the bangers are still bangers and the sequencing it's new sequencing talent show and i'll be you at one and two i don't know i might i might rate that even higher than let it be what but hey, enough about me. Look at this episode we got here. Dan Ozzy, who asked me to uh, refer to him as one of the world's greatest rock critics. That's not true. He did not ask me to say that. Truly, Dan is a treasure to music journalism. He's the co-author of Lord Jane Grace's autobiography, Tranny. Former noisy editor. Current newsletter writer. Dan's on the show this week. We've also got... Our old friend, Becca Raskolchik of Bethlehem Steel, here to talk about the new self-titled Bethlehem Steel album, one of my favorites of this year. We got a good one for you this week. There are a few things that I find more fulfilling than being sucked back in the world of the replacements. That dead man's pop set. Bob Mayer, who wrote Trouble Boys, wrote the liner notes this thing. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing that I possess and I am able to buy the occasional nice thing as well as finance this show via our Patreon. Patreon is a way for you to help support the show by pledging a monthly amount in exchange for bonus content. We got playlist, extra audio, new release coverage. Once in a while, I'll drop an interview in there early. We've also got postcards mixtapes all available over there at patreon.com slash better yet podcast a little goes a long way a couple bucks a month on there i could almost make a living doing this thing 
We're sponsored this week by Brindle Book Club. It can be hard to figure out what to read. The back of a book doesn't really tell you anything. Reviews kind of just tend towards summary. And I mean, commercial bestsellers, they leave you cold. Wouldn't it be great if there was a small group of book nerds dedicated to sending you quality reads? Brindle Book Club is a new literary subscription service that puts together the best paperback fiction from past and present and sends it to your door once a month. Choose from any of Brindle's five subscription lines, like Decorated, which features award-winning novels worth the hype, or Criminal, featuring mysteries and thrillers from around the world, drawn from the neo-noir and avant-garde. Better yet, listeners can save five bucks off their first month by using the code Better yet, at checkout, that's all one word. Shipping is free. Books go out the first of every month. Go to brindlebookclub.com. That's B-R-I-N-D-L-E, bookclub.com. Use the offer code Better Yet. Start reading the good shit today. If you would like to advertise on Better Yet, reach out to me at betteryetpodcast at gmail.com. I am anxiously awaiting my next book from Brindle. I love Fuminori Nakamura's The Thief. It's a noir story based in Tokyo. And apparently I'm about to get hit with some psychological realism from Italy. That's what they're telling me. It's on its way. I've been watching all these Fellini movies lately, so I'm filling my world with all sorts of, uh, of Italian whimsy and deep sadness. I am ready, baby. Let me plug um, real quick. As you were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. I don't talk about it that much on this show, and I definitely haven't been talking about it these past few weeks. I host the show with David Anthony. We talk about one Alkaline Trio song per week. We've been on an unplanned break for the past six weeks. Uh, I had my own medical issues in May. David is in the unfortunate situation of having his own very serious issues to tend to. I'll leave it at that for now, except to say that things are taking a positive turn, which gave us reason to record our first new episode of As You Were, the first one since August. So uh, as a co-host of the show, I'm very proud of the episode itself as someone who does a thing with his friend, uh, mostly just because he likes spending time with his friend. I'm elated. So you can listen to that. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, our first guest this week is Becca Raskalchik of Bethlehem Steel. Becca was over all the way back at episode 79 when Bethlehem Steel was on tour supporting their debut LP, Party Naked Forever. In between then and now, Bethlehem Steel released a split 7-inch with Washer, added a second guitar player, Christina Puerta recorded I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, the opening track for All of God's Money, our compilation tribute to Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, better yet, podcast.bandcamp.com, proceeds benefiting AIDS Foundation of Chicago. I can't believe that I thought I would get through that entire thing without taking a breath. I didn't even get halfway through it. Bethlehem Steel, remember Bethlehem Steel? Put a new self-titled record out on Exploding in Sound. This record... Much more than Party Naked Forever brings to mind bands like Shellac, Washing Machine, Aerosonic Youth, and also some very tender, mid-tempo fuzz pop. It's a complex record, 
filled with some very interesting pivots and lyrically it's such a powerhouse the type of record that makes me summon becca back over here to talk we talk about wilco the lineup changes and then we get into the experience that make this record what it is so let's get to that we'll start with the song this is government cheese followed by my interview with becca raskolchik Well, first of all, I gotta say thank you, because you, I cannot express how grateful I am for the bailout that you provided to me by giving me that I'm trying to break your heart cover from this this come, look at at Jamie made me this, this bag, yeah, a useful bag to put things in. I mean, because I, I would say I was choosy too. Yeah. And there's this there's this thing with Wilco when with people you don't know very well, where you're kind of putting yourself on the line when you're talking to somebody who's like kind of cool. Like, hey, do you want to do this Wilco compilation? <laughs> it could go a lot of ways. But you were so so. Oh, yeah. Are you a are you a Wilco fan or were you just yeah? Like, no, yeah. That record is like super important to me so it's yeah. awesome to get to do it when did you when did you first find it probably at some point between 2006 and 8 yeah or sometime in 2006 maybe around then. well what do you remember like were you in a discovery phase where you like oh damn this Wilco um, band is on some shit my good friend and roommate in college was really really into Wilco yeah I would just play it a lot and I was like you know, yeah yeah, it's all it was, happening. Yeah. 
and you told me that this is this is good timing because we're recording a new record Mm -hmm. so it was all it was all there and you you had it ready and i love the way that you decided to go about doing it because i think your presentation of that song it's fucking it's great for for what you do because it's just so like muted it's just a voice and you just bring it up and you don't have to worry about that drum beat right yeah <laughs> it was missing though we, mi- we, we missed it we missed it well what did, no you didn't miss it you <laughs> I, I feel like you made it you made it your own yeah that's true you have fun that's recording true. it yes was there because I, I had this experience i guess listening to those songs so many times in such a different light where i was it was kind of like hearing certain lines for the first time where you you stop and you say like oh i never realized like how fucking brutal that line is did you have any experiences like that when you were putting the cover together yeah just even saying that i'm trying to break your heart like just like a lot over and over <laughs> she's like ow yeah that's but, a that's a thing that's a thing to say yeah but it's kind of like fucking because you don't say that you don't say a line like that to someone you've known for a long time that's like the hi i've just met you sort mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. so we've got we've got a new bethlehem steel record mm-hmm. and i see that the one of the big changes coming into it it's now it's a four piece we've mm-hmm. got christina mm-hmm. how did that come to be so the other record had been recorded with other guitar parts so we needed someone we had a couple other friends um playing with us for like the tours for that um so you were always touring as a four-piece yeah one after party naked forever came out we had to have four people yeah to play the other guitar parts um so i'm like all right moving forward let's look for someone who is gonna be in this full time and maybe wants to write and be a little more collaborative and yeah so then we put out the call and she was a friend of friends through like a friends and big ups oh yeah she came in with a very high regard mm-hmm. and then we met hung out and like a high regard from a band like big ups that's like I mean that's that's high high regard exponentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, expanded upon. Yeah, Joe, uh, the singer was very like Christina, 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 Christina. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, I got it, yeah. I got it. We'll sure. hang out. I'll uh-huh. meet. And then it's just like, it was great. And yeah, like we just hung out and then had a practice. And she got all the songs that we were gonna practice like down. So it's basically just like, all right, well, I guess we're just like practicing now. Like, cool. Right. This is, yeah. This is it now. <laughs> but so do you think because what I notice a lot the the difference that you can feel between these songs and and Party Naked Forever where it's not it's definitely not one guitar player writing multiple parts. I feel mm-hmm. like you two are playing off of each other really well. Was that something that you picked up on quickly like, "Oh, we can kind of we can kind of work off of each other yeah. really well. Well, when we were writing, so we'd have like band practice and then at least once a week we would have just practice just with us. Uh-huh. Where we would just work the songs and loop parts until we found like guitar parts that complemented each other. 
and that we were both into. Um, so that was, I don't know, and all, you're, like, you're, fun to do. Your style changed a lot, too, because I feel like you sort of be you left like an openness or at least like you know i can't differentiate between who's playing what but it feels like you're like purposefully like making a lot more space because you know somebody's gonna be there filling it with something different yeah that just comes out of doing it like working together constantly right i guess so i haven't thought about it (laughs) (laughs) Um, but with this, this record, there, there are a couple of first impressions that I, that I want to talk about with it. And one of them, uh, was the one that involved my email to you of seeing the bad girl video. So I'm hearing that song for the first time and not only telling you how much I like that song, but how much I love the fact that it's the first single on the record because that's a weird song yep <laughs> it is it's menacing yeah and i love so many parts about that song because you have you have a very great hook in the first verse that you don't return to almost like yeah we we could but we're not going to and then you have this fucking this stop that happens about halfway through where it's just like 180 degree mm-hmm. pivot going in a different direction now i feel like the first single it's the like come one come all you're all gonna love this and this is just so like whoa this first half makes me feel weird and i didn't see the second half coming at all like what goes into making that the first song because you know that that's the effect that you're having yeah uh <laughs> i don't know it was like the whole process of that song was just, like just funny like it was weird like do we keep going with this right how much can we lean into this what's happening <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like can we call this bad girl like yeah that's funny yeah all right yeah uh-huh. yeah just lean into it and then i really like i was hit with like an idea for the video and then we made the video and they're like all right yeah it's got to be this has got to be the first thing. Like, mm-hmm. it is really weird, and no one's going to see it coming. And we, like, never played it live at all. I went, and then and you made that video, too. Had yeah. you had any experience doing that sort of work? Um, well, I just, like, wrote the shots, and then, like, I didn't film I didn't film it. Okay, yeah. Um, we did it with my friend Adam, who we had done the, another video with, a few videos with. Um, and we work really well together. Yeah. And I just bring him my like stick figure storyboards uh-huh and then we edit together usually like it has to be twice because the first time we usually like all right we're gonna get a bottle of wine and like a <laughs> six pack and start working on this and then we're like oh no oh no we had too much Some of that bottle of wine idea yeah. uh-huh <laughs> so then we have to like go back and like every time we forget that that's such a bad idea but <laughs> and, and you did it you have another video for this too that I, I, what what was the other song that you did a video uh, for government cheese government cheese which is, is such a fucking pretty little song mm-hmm. oh my god you start this record off almost as weird as bad girl and then you just have this little little pop gem yeah where i i feel like so much of this record like you have these songs where 
you go into this weird sort of territory where rules don't exactly apply and then the prettiest moments on these records are all just very like they never get too loud they're they're just so like nice and even and that's uh it's such an interesting dynamic of going from one to the next in that yeah. way your writing on this is it's very intriguing because i feel like there's not there's not much of a template for like okay we're gonna do this until we decide to just go down a completely different track so I mean, a lot of the songs on Party Naked Forever, too, would have, like, you know, parts, and it would end differently from where it finished, but usually there was some sort of, like, passageway to get there, and now you've kind of decided not to do that yeah. in a lot of ways. I guess you're you're right. I know that I'm right. <laughs> I, li- I listened to this so many times, because, like, yeah, Sponge, it's like, it's like... Yeah, that doesn't really... It goes yeah. that way. So, so what... How do you... How do you come to that conclusion that it's it's okay to just stop and do something completely different? I guess sometimes, or the way that I had been writing this uh-huh. kind of forces it to be that way sometimes. So if I'm working on something and I have, like, these insane voicemails that don't really make sense uh, or voice memos. Mm -hmm. So it's basically like I'll start something and I'll have to record the part that I have and then like work on it again and then like record like another part to it. And it's like uh, labeled like a label in in with a letter and then like something random after it. So like a, like a, like maybe chorus, like, more a and mm-hmm. just like all of these things that don't really make sense that are all just like parts to things or parts ideas to your song about fonzie but i won't but i won't let myself move on to another song until it's that letter is done most sure. most of the time Somet- uh-huh. sometimes i'll just uh, like abandon it but so i was trying to force myself to finish before i moved on to something else so that's why a lot of times there are some just intense randomness right lack of gaps um it's do you do you sit down to write often or are you a like got this idea need to put it down very quickly and there it is and we've got it documented now sometimes when i have time to do that or i'll just like kind of write it down or just like sing an idea into a voice memo yeah which usually ends up just like being nonsense and sounding so creepy uh-huh. but, <laughs> uh but usually this whole record's creepy yeah and like something i wanted to point out on the video too before i sidetrack myself but your your glare that you have in these videos of like these menacing eyes kind of like I was I've been watching all of these like YouTube comps of Stanley Kubrick shit oh. and they talk about the Kubrick glare and it's just you know when Jack Nicholson's just like looking out the window like and I'm like yo <laughs> Yeah 
did you develop that or was it when you're when you're doing the video is is, is it andrew andrew's like uh adam, adam no sorry. i i guess that's it's fucking so good just the look it's so good when i see that <laughs> that's like the you know what i see like behind these songs is that like just ultimate like just vitriol that's behind those eyes yeah yeah it's pretty pretty scary um (laughs) you know lyrically i think if i were to summarize the record it'd it'd be probably the line well i've been repressing as little as possible how about you this is this record is so it just lacks any sort of like oh i'm gonna like at least try to put some like metaphor in front of what's on my mind right now yeah i know that we're in like a kind of a a confined time space and it's not easy to just be like damn so uh (laughs) what's up but you know like however much you want to share about the the lyrical content of this record because it's it's a heavy record yeah um well yeah it all just kind of happened in conjunction with processing a lot of stuff yeah so and the way that i process things is through songwriting Mm -hmm. so this record is what happened (laughs) yeah do you feel Um, good about it because it's like it's it's so it has to take so much to put it out there and yeah i'm just talking but yeah no um i mean for now like i don't like call anybody out specifically about anything and then Mm-hmm. I mean, people who are really close to me know that, like exactly what things are about. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It helped me a lot. And a lot of like the topics were things like that about a specific person who just like kind of just completely left me. And. Uh-huh we didn't kind of talk about anything. Yeah. So it's was good to kind of just like get it out. Right, cuz you're sitting way. there you, you're processing something without yeah. any feedback. Yeah. Things are just conversations are just cut off. And what do you do what do you do with that? Yeah. Cuz you can't even you can't even know where to start cuz it's all like wait why yeah well it's basically like so my stepdad had left my mom Uh and like in that like left like me yeah who we were like super close and just like that's that's just it yeah he's just gone so it was yeah like a lot yeah yeah when I was growing up, I had a uh, uncle who like married into the family, and and I was, you know, he was definitely the cool uncle on that side of the family. And then one day, he had like a whole nother life, and yeah. he was gone. 
and I was 11, 12. And then when I was in college, 10 years later, I get a Facebook message that starts with, hey, sport, which is what he used to call me. And I'm like, what the fuck do you think you're doing here? Like, the whole thing was just like, I can't even, because you're talking to me like I'm still 12 years old. And I am 20. I'm still very much a child. Like, don't get me wrong. But, Mm -hmm. like, who do you think you are? Yeah. It's not, it's not easy. Yeah. Did you end up talking? No, no. Like, I, I couldn't even, like, think of what to say. Like, yeah. I understand. Like, yeah. I get it. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, like, it's, it's so, I don't know. I don't know if this was your experience, but with mine, it's just, like, you know, I get that it's... I get that everything is complex mm-hmm. and I get that like not everything is is as plain as as it might seem but like you're exercising such a complete lack of respect that yeah. I get to now do whatever the fuck I need to to get over this void that you've left mm-hmm. and you're screaming on this fucking thing yeah yeah can i ask can i ask something and if this is too if this is too personal yeah we'll we'll even like cut it out of the thing but like have you corresponded with them in any way um so it's funny because i had borrowed money from him like a few years ago which i've been paying back to him so every month i am still writing him checks Uh uh-huh and it sucks because it's every month i have to think about it like fuck yeah so it's just like okay like but besides that no (laughs) it's crazy why are you still writing him checks because i i have a conscience i don't know i just like have like i have to I yeah. know there are, like a lot of people been like don't fucking yeah yeah don't yeah. fucking pay him back like he's not he won't t- like he's treated you like shit uh huh but but then you yeah is it like is it because I like I got I just told you I got ghosted by my by my fucking job and then I get a text and it's like I just want to i just want to do something like i i was supposed to work today and i just wanted to go over there and snip a wire or something (laughs) something that they wouldn't notice and then i can have that i can walk but then it's like oh come on you're a bad you're the bad person in their eyes not like not because you've given you've given this person nothing they have nothing that they can hold over you and justify what they did yeah but i feel you you gotta write that check yeah it's it's hard and i like had 
I got engaged recently. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. Um, so I wrote it uh-huh. in with it. Because like, every time I just like write like, all right, here's like all the info. Like write like a tiny note, like hope you're well or whatever. Like, And I wrote like, Nick and I got engaged. Like it s- sucks that I couldn't share that with you. Yeah. And like just cried. Oh, fuck, It dude. sucked. Mm. But yeah, like that sucks. I'm trying not to cry now, but I might. But yeah, like when we were practicing for the record, I'm sorry. No, you're good. And thinking about like having to play these songs or like the song Couches in particular in Mm -hmm. Buffalo was just like, ugh, killed me. Yeah. Um, And I I couldn't get through like our last two rehearsals before like our release shows. I just couldn't get through the song while we were playing them without like just – I was just crying. Wow. Because just thinking about him not being there because he had been at every single show that I had played uh-huh. in Buffalo from the time I started playing. And that would have been the first one that he wouldn't have been at. Yeah. <sighs> but luckily, <laughs> both of my parents were there. Um, thank you. Yeah. And they don't haven't spoken since I was like – five like since they got a divorce uh-huh. for some reason my mom was just like ah fuck it and went and talked to him wow like and his friends that he was with and they just like hung out and like talked and holy just, like, shit blowing my mind and i'd never like seen that uh-huh. like i don't remember ever seeing them like talking oh my god so it's like i couldn't be sad or care like because i was i had that and it was awesome that's amazing yeah Did you get to, like, talk to your mom about that? Because that had to, like, you know, there's one door that's just, like, fucking crazy open now. But now this one that's, like, goes way back. There's at least some peace of mind there. Yeah. Right? It was crazy. It was so grateful. Well, she was just, like, "Eh, I don't know. What do I got to lose? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like whatever how's she doing now is she doing okay yeah yeah how are you She's doing like, mostly good yeah still like i don't know working through things but yeah. good on tour so with carl yeah <laughs> yeah alumni Carl's so the, great he's so fucking funny he's really funny i would love to tour with carl because i i feel like Getting to the venue every day, be like, all right, and Carl be like, yeah, <laughs> fine. <laughs> He's funny. Well, this like this is a really big step for your band. The music that you're making on this record is so captivating and interesting, and my immediate perception of it was just like, fuck, like. I can't wait till I listen to this for the sixth time (laughs) because I'm just grasping like the extent of, of the craziness of what's going on here. And that, that takes something, especially like, you know, music with guitars. It's like, we're, we're running out of new things to do, but this is, this is fucking something, dude. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) 
thanks for coming by. Yeah. Thanks for helping me out so much this year. God damn. Yeah. Thanks for how did you do this again? Last time you pulled up like every interview I was like, not talking about it. Pff, not talking about it. I not talking about it. And then, <laughs> and then the last time I come in here, I'm like, how did he get me to spill everything? And then it happened again. I was I I'm just uh I'm just that fucking good. <laughs> Alright, hey, wow. One thing that I forgot about Becca and immediately remembered when she sat down is that she can be a tough egg to crack. But like last time, after a while, we found ourselves talking some very real experience. There's no set of criteria for what you do when you're left abruptly by someone who was a part of your life and Becca's navigating that space best as she can, and she's kicking ass while doing so. It's hard to put into words the meaningfulness of being on that side of a conversation with someone, and I'm very grateful for Becca for allowing me in, and holy shit, I didn't think this record could get any better, but now a whole new layer of meaning has been opened up. Pick yourself up a copy from Exploding in Sound, explodinginsoundrecords.com, and you can find Bethlehem Steel online at bethlehemsteel.bandcamp.com. They still have the best social media handle in the fucking world. Be steel, my bleeding fart. God damn. Now, on to my next guest, Dan Ozzy. You might remember him from such publications as Noisy, as the co-author of Laura Jane Grace's Tranny Confessions of Punk Rock's Most Infamous Anarchist Sellout, or his podcast, America's Funniest Tornadoes, along with No Plus Ones and Sure Thing, a podcast about Polly Shore, both with David Anthony, my co-host over there, on As You Were. And that's how I first met Dan in 2017 when he was out in Chicago recording No Plus Ones with David when uh, we, we planned to do this podcast the first time but a couple things came up Uh, my dad was in town it's when he was living in Dublin and Dan kept making mention during the interview of a bassoon I had no idea what he was talking about but then I remembered ah yes I once flew to San Francisco as a courier to pick up a three-quarter million dollar cello uh and now these are silly excuses on paper but you have to realize that, all right, I flaked. I owed Dan big time. So when he was in town for Riot Fest, I said, please come over. It was fun getting to sit down with him. Finally, I tried to do a bit at the beginning where I pretended to take a phone call from my dad. It didn't translate well, mostly because Dan, as you're going to find out, is just a very sweet person. So he just left the room and left me to my phone call. And I was like, no, you're ruining the bit. Anyway, 
Dan comes into music writing late, but brought an energy that pushed against the tradition and helped establish him as a unique voice in the music writing community. And he'd take a step further, taking over as the editor at Noisy, where he raised the level of writing and set the identity for the site whose coverage opened up for bands like Pup, Chumped, and Kaitana. Those bands reached these new levels of stature because of Dan's writing, because of what he's doing with Noisy. He left Noisy, though, last year, 2018, moved to L.A., started a newsletter along with another big thing, and we had a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss, so let's get to it. No. Here's me we're doing and Dan Ossie. Okay. No are we bumping. Reco- okay, are we yeah. recording it? We're recording. Oh, we are, okay. It's all, it's all going down. Because I want to say up front that the last time I was supposed to hear, I was supposed to be here, I got bumped for a tuba, was it? Um, it was a bassoon. You had to carry a bassoon, and you bumped me. Right, exactly. Yeah. Humiliating. Said, and then you walked away, and I went, <laughs> yeah. Not the sad trombone. It was the sad bassoon. Very, very low down. You had to pick up a. I, I, yeah. My, my agent, needless to say, got fired for that. Well, I sure hope Getting, so. I'll get bumped for like a like a woodwind instrument. Mm-hmm. But a bassoon. Yeah. I don't even know if that's a woodwind or not. No, I think I think that one's a brass. brass yeah. But um, I'm not getting bumped for me. A I just brass I love instrument. I love firing my agent like once every eight months. You know, just yeah. to. Just to feel good about myself again. This really it really says a lot about my personality that you like you mock bumped me, and I was just like, oh yeah, okay, Tim's Tim's busy. I'll oh just yeah, excuse yeah, myself. No, no problem, no important. problem, Tim. You can just yeah, I, you can I just need motion to... to the door and I'll leave. <laughs> I need to build up some uh, some self esteem or something because I was like, yeah, oh, well, I'm got gl- better things to do. I'm glad that you're. I'm glad that you're here because, I mean, the the thing that I was looking forward to the most is that you and I can have a, a little therapy session oh, for okay. my my guffaw, guffaw on Twitter recently where I got taken to the cleaners, <laughs> I, rightfully so. Can I just say, though, that you, you saying my guffaw on Twitter as like a as a abnormality like uh-huh. all I do is guffaws on Twitter. <laughs> like if I have a non if I say something prescient. You know that's that's an anomaly, right? So, but congrats I, on having one of them. My God, I said, I well, I just felt bad because yeah. I was I was uh, negative in a way that I don't like to be publicly. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know, but doing so in uh, on a on a Brian Fallon status about how everyone should listen to the Menzingers, mm-hmm. and then I go and say something that I would say to a friend. But on that status, I could have just said that privately. That's yeah. what that's what fucked me up. When someone pointed that out, like, hey, that's not like a bad take, but I don't know why you put it here. And yeah. then immediately I was like, oh no. Well, I think I think your mistake was you quote tweeted it. Yeah. Yeah. And Brian, if he's listening, which I know that he is, I'm sure he will listen to this. Oh, episode. absolutely. Uh, I love him, and and if and I know since I know he's li- listening, my uh, advice is that he has to get off the internet. Like you're, you know, like he was in a cool rock band. He's a musician. Like get off the internet. Like he's starting to like talk to like 
music writers on that Twitter thing. And I'm uh-huh. like, dude, these people are not cool. Like, stop. Like, why are you trying to be friends with these like me? It's stop. Just, just like, do whatever you want. You can cool. do literally whatever yeah. you want. So I wish he would get off the internet. I think he thinks he's going to be like Jason Isbell or somebody who's got like a real mastery at Twitter. Oh, and it's like, man, dude, that guy knows how to be you're, on Twitter. You're, but, but, but even still, even if you win the game, it's like, what, you're, you're the best at Twitter. Like, please get, Brian, please get off of that fucking thing. Like, I'm begging you. It's getting bad. You don't want to get let that suck you down. What? But he's also, but yeah, but quote tweeting him, I think, was the mistake because he is a, a, a nerd with that shit. But I don't think he's the kind of nerd that's like searching Gaslight Anthem on Twitter. So I think yeah, he would have been no. okay. I think that it was the fact that you put it in his feed that he. Felt yeah, like, yeah. And, I, and 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 once once I like realized that that's what I did because yeah. I was like oh, I was like oh this is such a good dunk yeah mm-hmm. um. I, I thought I my didn't... dunk was better. Oh, which it I said, certainly was. I said, uh, hey, Tim, are you the opening track on the album After the Party? Because you're telling lies, <laughs> which is a great line. Everybody got all over that. And I felt bad because I, I deleted the tweet after like... I know. Hour, my, yeah. I'm, I'm leaving my response up, though. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. connected to Oh, nothing. it's still there? Yeah. My, okay, yeah, good, yeah, good, yeah. good, good, good. Because I, I, I was like, man, this is unfortunate that I'm doing this to Dan, and I'm like taking it <laughs> away, but it's still there. That's good. Great. You did yeah. a great job. Thanks, pal. I really crafted that one. <laughs> <laughs> but don't be negative on, on the internet just because you think you're you're a cool guy. That's what I learned. Um, I'm talking about me. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. you. No, I'm, I don't have any. I, I conceded to being bumped for a call for your dad. <laughs> I don't have any delusions about being cool at all. So where'd you grow up? Uh, Staten Island, New York. Staten Island. Yeah. The Jim Belushi of the five boroughs. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Jim Tan Laundry State. <laughs> well, there's that, too. Yeah, I know Vinny's, yeah. Vinny's from Staten Island. Yeah, his dad has a pizzeria on yeah. Arthur Kill, if I believe. Is it called Vinny's? No, I don't think I don't think it's. So, Do you want to hear my New York bit? Whenever sure. somebody <laughs> talks about going to New York, yeah. I tell them, hey, you got to go to Tony's. Yeah. And they're like, what's Tony's? So I'm like, you get a slice at Tony's. Yeah. It's on the corner. And I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's on the corner by the subway yeah. station. You go in there and you get a slice. And they're like, okay. I'm like, it's the best slice in town. And then you're like, forget about it. <laughs> and then I'm like, then you get on the subway yeah. and you go to Brooklyn. <laughs> so the bit needs work, but I will help you with Thank it. You. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So Stat- Staten Island, is that on... Long Island? No, okay. it's the opposite side of the oh, city. Okay. It's it's one of the five boroughs, which Long Island is not, but it's uh-huh. like very much the forgotten borough because it's the most like suburban and it's where like, you know, it's the only part of New York City that risks swinging red during oh, elections. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they went, I think they went for Trump, which is fucking you know, humiliating. But right. if I'm not hey, mistaken, he's a good, he's a good, he's got some ideas. Well, it's so funny because like you know, Staten Island is full of like blue collar like uh cops and you know service workers union people and like emts and stuff like that so you would think that like working class people would have looked at a billionaire and been like fuck off um because they're you know if nothing else there's like a very hard-nosed no bullshit type of people right but i don't know how they get swindled by that type of shit like i could almost see george bush like they voted for bush i think but then they went for obama but then I think they swung back to Trump. It, if I'm not mistaken, is that what's just gonna? They're just gonna be doing that for forever. Maybe, maybe it's a pendulum. Maybe there was just something about Obama that connected. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's something that I think all three of those have in common, and it's a fucking strange oddball charisma. 
and really that's uh, maybe, it, you know? Maybe, um, But there's also, like, a, you know, like, it, it is very homogenous on parts of it where it's just, like, white, you know, like, white Italian people. Yeah. But then there's, like, there are, like, a lot of black people on Staten Island. It's, it's where Wu-Tang was birthed. Right, and right. And they're disenfranchised from the entire process, you know what I mean? So I think, like, when you had a charismatic... Um, black candidate like Obama, like yeah, of course they're gonna turn right. out. You know okay, what I mean? that makes a but, lot of but sense. But like, yeah. I think I think during elections like Bush, they probably just don't care and just like stayed home. So I, I think well, the hell is the, that guy just ran against a couple of adults in both the. It both was also nine eleven, and right. like there was so many oh, firefighters on yeah. Staten Island. Yeah. I mean, my my best friend, she was we dated in in college and in high school and she uh her dad was a fire captain and wow he lost seven guys and it was fucking miserable because all we did was go to funerals and like visit yeah. with uh visit with family he, he had to like do a lot of visiting it was terrible man yeah. like whenever there was a uh when you know because like if you remember there was like weeks where they were still going through the rubble and whenever they found one of his guys like they would call him to like sort of like pull out the you know like he had to be on site for it and like, yeah fucking miserable it just has to go there every time to be yeah, like, yeah. if i remember correctly so Jesus. yeah so it was bad but like you know bush really and giuliani too were yeah. like they they used 9-11 as this like fucking political uh you know like asset where it's just like i'm the 9-11 mayor you right. know what nothing bad happened after 9-11 because of me you know so like they went for bush and they went for giuliani even though yeah, yeah. like giuliani's the biggest fucking prick that ever came out in new york city there was a there was a onion headline in in 2008 where uh it said that giuliani it's like giuliani running for 9-11 and it was just like Giuliani for 9-11 like campaign banner behind him because yeah. that was his entire like 2008 platform right remember totally. 9-11 I was there yeah remember, remember I was in the picture <laughs> with Hillary Clinton who we scrubbed out of it for some reason um so uh what'd your folks do um my dad growing up was a lawyer and my mom was a grade school teacher oh okay yeah what grade uh she did a couple of grades like i remember she did young kids at one point like kindergarten but then i think when she retired like the last grade she was teaching i want i want to say it was second grade but maybe it was a little, maybe it was more like oh, seventh okay. grade but still in the, grade school the, before yeah, high school yeah yeah, 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 yeah. definitely yeah. and then uh you got any siblings i have one sister yeah you close uh we're pretty close i mean like i think we are very opposite in mm -hmm. a lot of ways um she's like 30 and she is like uh, has a house and a husband and two kids, and I'm like older than her and still drifting. Like I'm a fucking right. transient, right. you know. And so in that way, we're different. But you know, like her having two kids over the last four years, like brought us closer together because they're like, like I, I You're didn't Uncle think. Uncle Danny. Yeah, I'm Uncle Dan. I fell in love with it. Like I love uncleing. It's like my biggest joy in life. So like that brought us closer together for sure. Yeah. I have like forty five minutes of every day where I just wish I had like a kid that I was just like hanging out, like walking around. <laughs> yeah, with. I yeah. love kids. Me but, too. Like, yeah, I mean, well, it depends. Like a lot of kids are just shitty. Like most people, like kids are just some kids are shitty, but yeah. there's some cool ones. My nieces are two extremely cool kids. That's and amazing. I, I just love hanging out with them so much. Was there music in the house when you were growing no. up? Well, well, I mean, like yeah, but pretty basic, like. Uh, my well, hold up, you're from Staten Island, <laughs> Billy Joel, right? Number, mm, uh, yeah, big, but yeah, Billy Joel, sure. That's but that's Long Island. I'm again, from, you're getting it. I know, I know. I'm yeah, from yeah. New Jersey, so I I remember like 
that dude and Springsteen. Well, Springsteen. For the yeah. longest time, I just like grouped them together because yeah, they yeah, were. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while to figure out that Springsteen's guy. Springsteen was was big on. in our house, and and the Beatles, of course, and yeah. um, my mom likes Van Morrison. Um, so that sort of like era of rock was our like, but yeah. it wasn't like a huge, like nobody, my parents didn't like play any instruments or anything. It was just sort of, yeah. do you remember when you were getting into it? Like yeah. on, a, on a level? I remember the first album that I really was into when I was five years old was bad by Michael Jackson yeah. and bad. Like, I guess when you're a kid, like the whole world is new to you. So you don't understand the concept that like an album just came out. Like it's new to the world. Sure. You're just like, Oh, I'm just discovering this thing. And I remember I was like, so into that album to the point where I had like a wooden door on my bedroom and like the house I grew up in. And, uh, you know how, like there's that bad logo, like the font is kind of this like scrawled graffiti. Right, almost. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I took, the little part of your belt, like the little, you know, that goes into the loop, like uh-huh. that part. And I remember I chiseled like bad into my door with, with that like font and like my mom no was so way. pissed. So bad was really the first album <laughs> that I that I got into. Yeah. Is that the one that's got why? Why? Tell him that it's human nature. Is that a Michael Jackson? You know, I need that to listen good. to yeah. it because now that I'm thinking about it, I haven't listened to Bad in many. I love that song. Years. I never really like fucked with Michael Jackson too much, mm, but um, probably for the best on that one. In hindsight, yeah, right. <laughs> I love his Simpsons episode. Though, well, sure. that was on a Simpsons mixtape. What's that? Well, yeah, I mean, they pulled that episode. They're not going to show they? it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> but you know, that's why I save your season three DVDs because that's right. Yeah. Star Graving um, Dad, classic episode. I love that episode so much. I the the bit where the guy's talking about why he can't leave the house and Homer's like they're sitting in the circle, you know, like one flew over. Mm. Oh yeah, house, and he's just like, Wait, "Be watching your keys." Co- <laughs> <laughs> just so good. Yeah. Um. So so all right. Lee, so Michael Jackson. He's Leon Kompowski, a oh bricklayer from Patterson, New Jersey. So, Great episode. Oh, so man. fantastic. All right, Peter, that episode, I suppose. Um. So all right. So we go from Michael Jackson, but like when you when you start to get into like you know the the stuff that you find yeah. yourself writing about these well, days. Well, I mean, so like. I guess, you know, so that was when I was a real young kid. That was like when I was five, six. I don't really remember what happened in the next couple of years, but then around like 10, um, because that would have been like 93. And that's when I started getting into like Nirvana, obviously. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe a little bit before that, uh, Nirvana, whenever Nevermind came out, obviously like Game Changer and Pearl Jam and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then like by the time I was out of grade school at like 13, I was like, I like punk, even though I don't have a concept of what that that means because i like Mm -hmm. i liked uh i remember i liked dead kennedys and i liked uh i but like you know like i feel like now like if you're like oh i'm i'm a punk you can't like uh nirvana or you know i don't know there's like that was grunge i I feel like it's all it's all gone now yeah i feel like all of those separations are just gone but because i really liked rage against the machine right Uh, and that's like you know you can get away with liking them when you're a young teen punk, yeah, but yeah. if you're 17, that's, that's you don't like Rage shit. Against yeah. the Machine. Um, so, but I, I remember by the time I got to high school, I remember I was really into Dead Kennedy's Minor Threat. Um, maybe I was kind of done with Nirvana at that point, but I was starting to like really just drift more towards like actual punk by the time I was going to high school. Yeah. So, how are you finding the like historical 
stuff. You know, you're going back and you're you're saying, oh, okay, there's this Dead Kennedys band. Like, mm. what what's the guide? You know, the guiding path for that is there. You know, is there a cool older cousin or? Oh well, you know? yeah. I I uh, by the way, I think about this a lot, and I I was like, oh, you know, I whenever I like listen to podcasts, I'm like, oh, I always know what I would say here, but I don't feel like anybody's really doing a podcast like this except for you. So thanks for having me. Um, but my answer to that is, uh, yeah, I remember um, my friend Justin when I was a kid. I I knew him since I was six, and then. Up until 13, we were friends, and his older brother, he had a brother that was like one or two years older than us. Um, but I remember a cassette that really like flipped a switch on for me, and it had on one side um, Fugazi's 13 songs, yeah, and on the other side, it had a recording of this seven inch by this band from Staten Island, probably the best. No, no, I'm sorry. The best hardcore band that ever came out of Staten Island called CR. Okay. And it's this like power violence hardcore band. And it's oh, still to this day my favorite seven inch. And I remember also Justin for his birthday wanted the Minor Threat record. Uh-huh. And, well, CD. And uh, at that time, it was like, you know, harder to get that kind of stuff. So there was that store, The Wall. It was like a chain, like Sam Goody type oh, of Oh, okay. And they had like a lot of weird things to like sort of get you in. Like they had a thing that was like, if you put, Every CD had a sticker, and if you just kept that, if you just put the sticker on the CD, they would replace it if it broke. So obviously, if you just kept the stickers, any CD that broke, you could just stick it on there and be like, "Yeah, I want a refund right. for that." Um, but so they would also order CDs for you, like anything you wanted. Huh. So I like ordered. I wonder why that place isn't around anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was forward thinking for like a a chain store because like if you went into a chain store in the mall, they probably didn't have Discord's catalog, right? right. But if you like want you like hey i want minor threats complete discography cd they would be like okay come back in a week and so i bought the minor threat cd for him and then he made a copy of that for me and that that so those that combination of those three things like that minor threat and cr especially like turned it on for me yeah because that rage against the machine like we were just talking about was like a real sort of moment where i was like oh wow you could scream on a song and that's sort of like an instrument that's sort of like a type of singing yeah. uh you could do that once in a while but then when i heard cr and minor threat i was like oh wait you can only scream as a means of expressing yourself like exclusively and i was like holy shit and so like once I, that flipped on that's like okay i w- listen to hardcore now you yeah. know what i mean so that was like th- that cassette was like a real like eye-opener and you're man, so jealous of you New York people, because uh-huh. you're like, okay, I only listen to hardcore now. Let me go to a hardcore show literally whenever. Yeah. Or is that kind of a a more dead era? Well, I mean, like when I was okay, so when I I, I was pretty lucky because when I was in freshman year, um, even though Staten Island is pretty close to. Uh, Manhattan. It's kind of like a chore to get there. Okay. Um, you know, because we couldn't drive, and driving sucks anyway. And like, so you would have to take the ferry, and the ferry like r- runs like a ha- on the half an hour, except after like midnight or something like that, it ran on the hour. So if you went to a show at CB's or something and you missed a one a.m., you were stuck there till two, and it got in at two thirty, and so you right. weren't getting home till like three three thirty. Like it sucked, you know. But in freshman year. I was catching the tail end of this venue that existed on the North Shore of Staten Island called The Joint. And The Joint was this, like, just hole 
just hole in the wall hall yeah, yeah. that was run by this guy named Freedom. And um, he did like a show every Friday night. And it was five bucks. And that's where I started to see like hardcore bands. And I didn't catch a lot of this, but it's where a lot of touring bands in the 90s, I guess, would come through if they didn't do a Manhattan show. It was like Avail played there. The Bouncing Souls played there. Oh, shit, um, yeah. But, you know, like by the time I was catching it, it was like Seisha. And, oh, word uh, up. Maybe not Orchid, but like who else did I see? There, there was a, a local band that is often forgotten. They're called the Cable Car Theory. Uh-huh. They were sort of like the, a big local band. So was this band called Murdoch. Um, bands would come down from New Paltz. There was this band, um, Devola and iRobot. They shared men- members. Um, so it was sort of like a lot of bands that were either on the East Coast or like passing through or Staten Island bands. And that that really taught me the ethics of like unpretentious, non-ticket mastered DIY shows. Right. You know what I mean? And like I <laughs> that band Seisha um, posted a photo the other day on Instagram of them playing the joint in maybe – 98 i think 99 and i was in the background of it and it captured what i just thought i was a, a fucking baby face kid yeah and i remember just being so intimidated because i was like 14 and everybody there even if they were just 17 at that age three years is like you know they were like a, they felt like adults and i was right. just like a, i was so intimidated you know just like kept to yourself there's like there was this guy what was his name like Anthony punk rock Anthony who just like had the the, the whole like mohawk and like studded jacket yeah and, you, know, and you the looked first like time... you just you just had little league practice well I had like I I wore the same thing thing throughout high school because I was just like a skateboard kid I just had like a, a world in the streets or hookups like sweatshirt uh-huh. and baggy cargo pants and I right. just skateboard kid you know so uh you just like you it was just like one of those things where you're walking into like a, a thing you don't know the like politics of it the intricacies so you're just like i'm gonna just gonna like keep to myself i'm not gonna fuck around yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like don't disturb any like weird dynamics and and that was that was how i started going to shows that's you know? so funny so did you ever play did you ever start a yeah, band or anything? um when i was in high school i was in me and my friends towards like sophomore junior year sophomore through like senior year i guess we got really into like charles bronson and, yeah and drop dead and stuff like that yeah. and so we decided like we were gonna be like a power like a grind band or something like that yeah. and we were terrible um well, but 25 we, seconds like yeah oh got totally, enough dude. time to notice 25 how bad seconds would have been like <laughs> i mean like I, we had like a list of like 12 songs up front and the whole set was maybe like eight minutes you yeah. know like but Fuck what yeah. our singer was his brother was in that band the cable car theory oh, okay so sometimes they would like okay like our friend our you know little brothers are gonna like play a show uh, they're gonna open, and so like I think we ended up maybe opening for like Neil Perry, and um, I don't really remember yeah. who else, but yeah, that's wild. So yeah, that was fun. So I guess like, you know, the the writing part mm. of it, like, when does that start to germinate for you? Do you think? Do you think you trace that back to a time? Well, are you? What are you talking about specifically? Like writing about music or something? Yeah. Well, if like, if I mean, people ask, like, you know, when did you start doing what you do now? Right. Okay. So, well, it's it's sort of like a long stretch um, because, like, in high school, college, like, I was interested in that. Like, I was doing like zines and stuff. Yeah. Where did like, you go to college? Uh, Wagner College, which is in New York, and okay. so I was just like doing 
Yeah, I was like doing zines and and like you know that then that's also when like Buddy Head was big. So then I like oh sure blogs stuff like that. But you know like I don't I I looking back like I really don't think that I thought of it as like a career, especially writing about music. But when I was in college, I was just like oh maybe I could be like a magazine writer. But again like for you know like Condé Nast traveler, I never thought like oh we'll right. write about music for a living or something yeah. like that. And then um, I what did get... you what did you go to school for? Uh, well, so my college didn't have journalism as a major, so uh-huh. I majored in English, but I minored in journalism, and I also have an art minor because when you do English majoring, like you know, it's a lot of reading, so you don't want to give yourself too heavy of a schedule. So I always throw myself art yeah. courses, and then by the end, they were like, "Hey, if you do like one more art history class, you'll have a minor." So I was like, "Okay, cool." And I yeah. just like so that's yeah, so English and then uh, German I wish art. I thought of that. I only I just only read like you know forty percent of the books. That oh we my got god, dude! I've read fucking nothing in, in college. <laughs> like I, because especially too like all the requisite courses for. English, like taking a Shakespeare course and a British literature course, like I fucking hated it. Yeah. The, the Shakespeare textbook was like this like $300 doorstopper book. And I'm like, I don't, just give me the cliff notes. Like the guy, truly, like I don't The care guy about that this. taught my Shakespeare course looked like Vigo the Carpathian. Uh-huh. And he just like, <clears throat> it, but he's he had like a, kind of like a Louisiana accent. He was just, you could tell the guy was fucking brilliant, but he mm. couldn't teach to save his sure. life. So he just like talked at us and would just go. And I, I, I only watched movie adaptations. Yeah. That was Cause I wasn't, way. I wasn't getting anything out of that. I yeah, mean, also too, like, you know, like I just don't give a shit. Like I don't care. Like I, I want to, like I, I really want to. Yeah. Or like, I, I feel like with, with Shakespeare, you have to know the like major takeaways of what we're talking about in terms of like his tragedy and comedy construction but as far as like knowing everything about like Othello like I'm sorry like I just don't I don't care like sometimes it comes up in like when I'm researching how to write a uh, you know like a script or something like that and I'm like okay like, oh. I understand that uh-huh. but I don't I don't think I don't ever think like <clears throat> man I like really need to know everything about all of Shakespeare's plays I don't fucking care like, right <clears throat> yeah you get re- you get references to it in books that you're reading and it's like uh okay. Yeah. Like, I'll take your word for it that this is a, a really important part from Macbeth. In, in a weird way, it feels like a similarity to the conversation. A lot of punk bands. <laughs> well, <in> the conversation <laughs> that, like any you know music. <laughs> the conversation that goes around around music right now, yeah, because like what was it? Who was it? Vince Staples who like. A couple oh my ago, god he he's like, like i don't like 90s rap yeah he, the they were asking thing. him like oh big or Pac?" and he's like i don't know man like i i'm 21 and i grew up on soldier boy yeah and everybody was like what the fuck like you gotta know your classics and all this shit and in a way like yeah i think listening to big and Pac is like important because i'm a big biggie smalls fan but then also too like who says like you have to like if you're gonna be a rap artist you have to know everything that ever like if if somebody's into like rock do you be like oh you have to go all the way back to Chuck Berry and memorize like no like right. who fucking cares like you're a product of the time that you go in culture has to move forward I think we take the things that we need from it and we like keep the ball rolling you Absolutely. know what I mean so yeah it's like it's like you know if if uh, someone's writing about pup they're not like well this band is clearly influenced by the Sex Pistols yeah or like you know I don't even think a kid that's a pup 
Cup fan that's like 22 has got to know the Buzzcocks. I think like maybe when they get older, you they'll should. like listen to the Buzzcocks and the undertones. Yeah. yeah. But like, I don't think it's like integral to your enjoying, you know, your experience with enjoying a like morbid stuff or right. whatever, you know? Yeah. So that's just my take. Yeah. It's it. funny. It's funny how that goes. Cause I think the, the amount of like culture keeping that gets done, it's, it's a little yeah. over the top sometimes, but then, you know, David says that he doesn't like the Velvet Underground and I want to like <laughs> beat him up. Yeah, sure, sure. But, um, so you're, you're doing zines and, and stuff like that. And oh, then you, yeah. you, you have the, the English degree. Yeah. Um, so what do you do after okay, college so- then? So when I got out of college, it was right when the internet was gaining more prominence as like a a serious thing and like magazines were closing and newspapers were closing and um, a lot of people were like freaking out. I, I, in my senior year, I I worked at a newspaper, which was a great experience. Yeah. Um, But, you know, things were like uh, laying people off and shuddering. And so it was like a really bad time to look for a job. I mean, obviously like now it is too. But at that time it was like nobody knew what the fuck was going to be the future of like writing and print and you know journalism so i i was like when you're I, talking about when, when did you graduate last week <laughs> yeah this is 2005 right. i feel like it was the beginning of this like you know internet destroying the old old brick and mortar right. guard of it um r.i.p the whiz or what, <laughs> what was no no it wasn't the whiz the whiz you, you went i'm sorry you, the the cd place that you were talking about. oh the wall the yeah, wall yeah yeah, yeah. Um, do they have the whiz anymore i haven't been uh, I haven't there been was the, the whiz on, since... on staten island and i that right. since i don't remember yeah. when that closed but right. i was sure it's that i was out of closed, there going out yeah. of business uh-huh. so. <laughs> um so yeah so i didn't like i had a really hard time finding a job after college and in in hindsight that was like probably one of the two worst times like looking back because I was just like living with my parents trying to find a job it was frustrating and like eventually I got called by some temp agency and they asked if I wanted to work at this book publisher and I was like okay and I didn't even really know if it was like a real thing because they called me Uh off of like monster.com or something and so I went in there and I was temping and I'm the type of person who like if I can get my foot in the door I'll like work very hard yeah and so I was working I'm trying to find a job right now I, I say that to myself every f- fucking 15 yeah. minutes of my life right now. yeah but especially as like a 21 year old I was like yeah I'll do whatever I don't care you know right so when I got my foot in the door I was working for this guy Purdy who he just went by Purdy I love him yeah. um and he he was kind of temporary too because he he had worked there but he was filling in for um, the director who was on maternity leave. And um, so we got along very well. I loved him. And um, and so as soon as he – so she never came back from maternity leave. She was like, oh, actually, I'm going to be a mom. Uh-huh. And uh, so he was – they offered him the job, and he took it. And when he got hired, one of his first acts – and I feel bad about this, but he fired his assistant, who was really bad, and he hired me. And so then I was working in book publishing for – eight years like I, oh, wow. I worked in like i worked at like four different pu- publishers oh. kind of like hopped around a little yeah. bit as you have to do in publishing and it was cool. why do you have to do that in publishing well because when you're an assistant you're sort of like a dime a dozen and if you're like hey i would like a raise they're like oh man you're doing such a good job but no uh-huh. um so uh-huh. you have to like sort of like jump around to get ahead as i discovered sure and um, yeah J- jamie works in publishing and she's well she 
found one pretty quick, but she mm-hmm. definitely had a, a couple first bad publishing jobs. Yeah, but I liked mine. Uh, I mean, it pays very terribly, um, but I worked with a lot of good people, and I worked at some cool places. I worked at Random House. I worked at Penguin, which is funny because they're the same company now. Yeah. Um, and I think I always had this thing in the back of my mind where I was, like, working on other books, other people's work. Um, and I was – and, you know, some of them sucked. <laughs> some of them were fucking miserable. Right. But some of them were cool. Is it all, like – is it anything really? I always – what do you mean? I'm sorry. I mean, like the subjects of the books. Oh, well, you know, like it was so varied. Like uh-huh. sometimes you'd be working on a store, uh, like a book about you. You kind of like got when when we were like, OK, these are our spring books. Like a lot of the people would like, oh, I want to work on this one, this one, like whatever. You kind of work to your taste. So right. obviously like any music book, I was like, yeah, like give it to me. I worked on like a baseball book. I worked on like with like Nick Kristoff ones. Like, you know, Ooh, I worked on that yeah. Born to Run book, the like one about marathon running. Oh, okay. Um, which yeah. was like this like phenomenon. Um, but I always had this thing in the back of my mind where I'm like, oh, this is cool working on somebody else's book. But, you know, like I feel like maybe if I took a while to invest in my own writing, like maybe I could advance my own career, not somebody else's. Uh-huh. And so the last job that I had was at Penguin. And it was the first job that was, like, not a good fit. Like, we were just not meshing. And it was really weird because I remember I had this meeting with them, with an author who came in at 6 for a meeting, which is, like, the most convenient time for a meeting when everybody wants to have a fucking meeting at the end of the day. So I remember we were meeting with this author until, like, 7 p.m. And after the meeting, my boss, like, pulled me in her office, and she was just like, hey, listen, you know, like – if you can't work the way that they want you to, like, they're going to let you go. And, like, I had always done really well when people were just like, yeah, use your creativity. Like, go for it. Do whatever you want. But this was like, we want you to work the way we want you to work. Yeah. And I was, like, not meshing. It was just not a good fit. Nothing against uh-huh. them. Um, Sounds like she was giving you real sage advice, though, right? Kind of, yeah. Because, is it, like, because she's letting you know before it happens. Yeah, like, she was just kind of like, I think. I, I got the I got the impression that like internally they they w- wanted me to work more in line with with the it was the company was founded by these like two people and they were clearly the heads. Wait, they weren't even founded by penguins. <laughs> no, what one of them was oh, a penguin? Was, yeah, was yeah. Mario Lemieux um, yeah. and Yarmir Yager uh, founded Penguin <laughs> Publishing. Um, well, this this specific imprint was founded by two people, and they clearly like. We started it with our vision, and we want everybody to enact it. And so, like, if I you didn't fall in line, it was like you didn't really fit in. So it's a great place to have a job if you want just marching orders. But I always felt like a creative person. So March of uh, the penguins, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and uh, so yeah, so like after she told me that, like yeah, like if you don't really work the way they want, they're they're gonna let you go. And I was like, okay. And I wasn't even like bothered by it or offended because like i'm a pretty hard worker so i knew it wasn't like my ethic i knew it was i didn't take it personally and i kind of left being like yeah i'm gonna leave this job like i in my head i was like i'm not gonna do this anymore oh man and um i had this sort of like you know moment in my life where it was like a really transformative time where i was like you know I've been saving. I really wasn't doing anything. So I had, like, money saved up from this job. I was, like, living alone. And I was like, okay. Like, I don't have any expenses. I have money saved up. I'm going to invest in, like, quitting my fucking job. I'm not going to – I've never quit a job where I didn't have another one lined up. That was, like, the first time. Yeah. And I, I like, quit. And uh, I, I was just like, I'm going to take the next, like, year to just, like, try to get more writing gigs and – 
Um, I knew that I would be taking a financial loss, but the way that I looked at it, I was like, well, people go to grad school. They like, you know, spend money on grad school, assuming that they'll have a better job in the future. It'll be an investment. So I kind of looked at it that at myself at, at, you know, as my own situation. And I was like, I'm going to take a financial hit. And I fucking did. I lost money, you know, because like, you're trying to like place things. I was still doing like some book stuff as like freelancing. So I was making some money. But, uh, but yeah, so then that, that picked up and that was really like the transition into my like writing career, such as it is. This all makes a lot of sense though, with the way you're describing it, because of the, of the writers who I've talked to for this, um, it's usually easy to follow their paper trail. Mm -hmm. And with you, I'm like, what? Where? What was this guy doing? Yeah, before it really noisy? took. It really took me investing in myself to yeah. do it. It wasn't like a. I mean, it was. A, it felt like a slow build, but in a way, like I think I had a, a leg up because I'd been a loser and just saved money up, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna invest this in myself in my career or whatever, you know? Because I felt like. I didn't have anybody depending on me and I was like pretty healthy and I was like, okay, this is a time to do it if any time, you know? Yeah. And I don't want to be like rah, rah, but like if you're feeling like that, you should go for it. You know, if you have yeah, the, like, for sure. if you can like go for it. So yeah, get out, get out. So you start, um, you start freelancing mm-hmm. then cause I see like, you know, things here and there stuff. I, that, that article that you wrote for the independent, which about uh, your grandmother. Oh yeah, that it's shit, funny because that I, shit really touched oh, thanks, me. Yeah, man. yeah. Uh, of all the things, I, thank you. But yeah. I actually didn't write that for the Independent. They um, I, so just for anybody who doesn't know what you're talking about, uh, my grandmother passed, and uh, we, you know, in in death, I all I often find funny things in grief, and right. w- my family had this really funny experience that I wrote about, and I really just like wrote it as a gift for my mom for Mother's Day because it was right before Mother's Day and I Dude, <laughs> I just put it I put it on medium and I just gave it to her and I remember I hit publish I was upstairs in the house and she was downstairs and she must have gotten like the notification and I came downstairs and she was like crying and she was just like you had to do that to me today, Dan. And I was like, I mean, she was happy with it. She liked it. It's sort of like weirdly lore in my family. Right, like right. my <laughs> my uncle read it, my like uncle from Sicily. And he like read it and he was like, Dan, you should be a writer. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, I hope uh, one that's day. What, um, that's the idea. Uh, and so, but anyway, so I just wrote it on Medium for my mom. I guess maybe I could have like just given it to her. Cause, but I thought it was a nice story and I Look, put it. In, that's so sweet. And uh, But yeah, somebody from... Yeah, I think it was the independent like contacted me and they were like, "Can we pay you money to publish this?" And I was like, "Yeah, go for it." And so they gave me money for it and I asked my mom if she wanted it. I was like, "I feel like this is yours." And she said, "No." Uh-huh. Um, but so yeah, so that's that's a yeah, that's very unlike anything that I've written cuz I really like, liked it. And you know man. what I, you know what I did? When I read it, I oh. sent it to my mother. Oh, yeah. thanks, man. Cuz we uh she's uh my grandfather, her dad, is uh, off the boat too, and uh, he grew up in in New Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Like after they came from Italy, and my mom is from New Jersey. So I'm just reading all of this, and just the way that you talk about the about your grandfather never throwing anything away. I'm oh just my like, god! Oh my god! That, that generation, is, like, that is yeah. Vincent Ambrosio, like to totally. a fucking T. My my grandfather had like in his hat, like in his backyard, he had like these, this like chair 
like in the in the in the garden or whatever that yeah. it was just like pipes like it was nice. more pipes than it was like original it's so funny we always like goof about that stuff yeah but like yeah the the recurring bit is the um the water that you put in the ketchup bottle so you can get yeah. the very last of the ketchup <laughs> you know what's so fucked up my my grandfather when he like it was it was actually bad like i think my grandmother had a uh, like a it was sort of, I think, bordered on. Not she wasn't a hoarder because her house was very clean. Yeah. But she definitely never threw anything in a way. And I remember we were so mad at her because my grandfather, when he was on his way out, he had cancer, and uh, you know, it was very clear he did not have a lot of time left. And we were like, I would bring food over, and like we would have like Chinese food or something like that. And we were eating on like sort of styrofoam plates. Yeah, sure. And I remember like at the end of the meal, my grandmother was cleaning up, and she was like saving the styrofoam plates like rinsing them off and i was we were so <laughs> mad like just he has like four months left if that and we're fucking washing these well, right. i remember just like like crumpling them up and throwing them away like stop doing like this like this is looking. too much yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean or just yeah. these regular plates you know um but yeah thanks for thanks for bringing that up yeah, yeah for sure so what so what happens like this with noisy you you, you do a couple things for them well, that they like and yeah then... so noisy was it was funny because like um this was sort of a fortuitous thing i think i wrote something for I think at that time, like, and still now, like, music publications, like, blogs and stuff, they just, like, came and went. And I think I got commissioned to write something for this site that I think was owned by AOL called Spinner. It was, okay. like, their music site. And I, like, wrote it, and then it was due on, like, a Monday or something like that. Or it was due on Wednesday, and I feel like I turned it in, and, like, three days later, it was, like, shuttered and you know uh-huh. and they were like hey you know like we're going out but uh we'll pay you a kill fee for this and you're welcome to like shop it around elsewhere so i think i placed it at noisy so which actually is sweet because it's like double paycheck right yeah um and then I, I i yeah because i remember this woman sasha hecht who was like very young and she worked there and it was like very much like her and this one other guy at the time and she i remember she tweeted something like oh bummer about like spinner if anybody of their if any of their writers like want to pitch noisy stuff here's my email so that's how i got like i reached out to her and then like that did well and then i remember i met uh like their editor-in-chief wanted to meet with me is this guy who's like the nicest smartest guy and he is the most unfortunate name uh now it's ben shapiro um oh, which no. is spelled the same way as that fucking little yeah. shithead um and he like oh, <laughs> yeah guy. i know and it sucks too because he's like the night the best dude right but he um he took me out to drinks uh which is funny because i don't drink so we we just like really yeah i don't drink i didn't know that uh, yeah 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 ever um no like i did like in freshman year of high school and uh-huh. I was like, eh, not for me yeah it's not like based on anything yeah um but yeah so so he was like he was like yeah like uh maybe you should do like a regular column for us and i was like okay and so like off of that piece i started doing a column for them and the column i guess was doing pretty well and at that time I what feel was like the column like it was just like kind of whatever i wanted and at that time i was just being very like aggressive like i wrote this one thing about how I, I remember I th- it was like a eulogy. What was it? No, it was like an intervention for Epitaph. I was like, Epitaph Whoa. needs to get it together because they have like so much dumb shit. It was just like aggressive and kind of like snarky. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I, I see a little, like bit, of, see a little bit of me yeah. on Twitter. That, yeah, that right. Piece. It was that persona. Imagine yeah, sure. living that. So I was like doing that and it was doing like well. And then eventually he was like, hey, man, like why don't you come in like two days a week to be like a guest 
editor or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, all right. And that turned into like three days a week. And then eventually they were like, hey, man, why don't you just work here full time? <laughs> and I was like, okay. So that's how nice. I started working full time nice. in Noisy. Yeah. So when you went there, were they were they doing reviews? Was Noisy publishing well, reviews? No, no. Like Noisy wasn't, but there were still like the Vice reviews. But that's like a different thing because that's like – semi-anonymous like snarky we've never actually listened to their album okay and you know like those were sort of like famous those have since been ended but that was like from the magazine holdover Mm -hmm. where it was just like these 50 word reviews that were like yeah this is probably a good album if you're ganked up on like pcp but otherwise we'd rather listen to fucking steely dan or whatever you know like just snarky shit i actually remember i wrote one thing on like the get up kids and i don't think that they I don't think I understood at the time like the tone they were going for and they inserted like some part about how I'd rather listen to like I'd rather swallow broken glass or something like that it was just like really mean and I didn't know that you were supposed to use like a funny pseudonym like fucking Cucker Tarlson or something like that I put I put my name on it and so I remember them just being I remember the band like whenever I interacted them with them being like what, what was that about I was like I don't know I didn't even write that like yeah. you know um, so yeah but that's you how you told it, them straight up that you didn't even write it or did you tell them the whole story uh, no I I don't remember uh, but also like who I, I don't, don't know. care. What... <laughs> I didn't even write it. They just said they were you know playing what, a prank on me. The Get Up Kids are welcome to think what they'd like of me, and I don't yeah. fucking care. <laughs> I truly don't. You know what I mean? Like that's fine. But um, I did, for the record, didn't write that broken glass thing. For I think though that you have had an interesting relationship with the album review you kind of lamented the death of it in an article yeah. that you wrote, and also you and and David talk. Extensively oh, yeah, yeah. about um, the album review and and where it sits, and yeah. I find that you know to be an interesting conversation to consider. The points that you bring up being just like you can just listen yeah, to it totally. now. Um, but I think it's it kind of sheds light on on a on a larger thing, which is basically that music journalism for the past however long has been. I'm not sure about what it's supposed yeah. to be doing. Like, what do you do if 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 your arsenal, if mm-hmm. your one weapon, which is that you hear the album before everybody else, what do you and, and and people have to pay for it to listen to it? Like, what do you do when that has been taken away from you? Right, your superpower has been taken away. Right. Right. Um, but I don't know. Like to me, I actually. I can't really remember the last time I wrote a straightforward album review, and I don't like doing it. I don't think I'm very good at it. It's hard. I'll read like Ian Cohen and at Pitchfork, and I think he's very good at like contextualizing an album and the way it sounds. I don't think that's my skill. I think my skill is like feature profile writing, getting to know somebody, uh-huh. um, cutting out the bullshit of what is actually their personality and what isn't, and writing about. A, a person so that's where i feel like i've had success i don't really feel like my i also don't really feel like my opinion matters all that much is in, in the long run like again like either you like something or you don't either you like pup or you don't and you don't need to be told like oh well if the buzzcocks hadn't released singles going steady in 1979 like you know like i don't care like and i again i think ian does it well and that's a skill that i just don't have and it's not necessarily one that i want I just like writing profiles and features and interviews better, you know. So when you kind of transition into your position as as the editor, then um, I guess 
are you because you almost have this sort of uh almost like a consultant nature to what you're doing it just in that you're not approaching music journalism as this is something that i wanted to do since i was 17 i went mm. to college for this and now i'm going to Dude. do this in the in the no. spirit of of lester bangs <laughs> totally and, uh, the first that. time somebody compared like somebody compared me to lester bangs and it wasn't nobody it was robert Criscow. yeah compared me to lester bangs i was like oh cool Why? like who i i yeah. don't really i didn't really know uh -huh. anything about him so it was like weird that i was cut from the same cloth i guess but uh dude and totally i don't have any respect for that the traditional norms of music writing and i f now but especially when i first started writing I would get people who were in that world who had all this reverence for the history of like Rolling Stone, like all these writers, uh, music writers online, they were really being shitty to me. And I was like, I think it bothered me at the time. Now I, I, I in a way, maybe it even pushed me to be, to embrace it more. Uh -huh. I don't, I truly could not care less now because I, I think I, I've been doing what I want and continue to do. But like at the time, like I felt like, my lack of respect for like the norms uh put me at odds with that crowd uh -huh. and i was like i don't care i, I came out every time like guns a blazing like i don't care in the same way like vince stables didn't care about biggie i did not care about like lester bangs i don't care about any of that shit i grew up reading buddy head right and it was just like this shit sucks and that 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 was the that was the point you had to get across this shit sucks or this shit rocks and i i did not care about like uh delving into i was i was like using i felt like those people were always trying to like use a a, surg a surgical knife and i came in with a hammer and i was like fuck this like right. i want to destroy everything that's you know so that was like my attitude um and of course that like when you're abrasive like that it's gonna put you at odds with people and rub people the wrong way right i don't care like i just don't how you do know? you not care well at the time like it, when i was like when i started at noisy and i was like on the rise i did take it like personally but i still knew what i wanted to do like i had not a vision for it because i think that sounds too grandiose but like i had like a, a something driving me the way i wanted to do it and now i i'm not i don't i'm not like a you know like i'm so hesitant to use the words like famous or or known or whatever but like people know who people you know are. who i am yeah. and like at this point i've reached a level that uh, like enough people know who I am that I can't possibly concern myself with everybody's opinion. Like yeah. how people feel about me is just not my concern. Like it's none of my business. You know what I mean? Like, and in the same way, I wish Brian would just like let the gaslight things go away. Like who cares what some fucking kid is saying about the gaslight? Not you, some kid like in Idaho. No, I, like I am, a, it, I'm a sad old man. <laughs> who like you know who right. cares? And so like to me, and 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 it's weird too because I've seen things on on Twitter or whatever that I'm like, what? Like I saw some kid talking, uh, like I saw some like conversation on Twitter where some kid was saying like, I went to a party at his house and he was just in the corner the whole time, and like. I never had more than one person in my apartment. Uh -huh. So I'm like, what? This is weird. And that sort of snapped me into being like, I can't keep track of this. I can't possibly dictate it. It is what it is. And I sort of like, I guess everybody who has like a rising profile has to have a moment or go crazy where you just concede to the fact that I have no control over this anymore. People, how people can perceive me is how they perceive me. I, it's none of my business. Right. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So when you, I guess when you take over in your, in your position, what are you looking at for, because I feel like your time at Noisy, you really carve out an identity sure. for what that, what that website brought. Yeah. Was there, and it sounds like you had an idea of what you wanted. Well. It was feature writing. Yeah. For one. Mm-hmm. And like, what else? What and just were covering, you... just giving, you know, like when I was, when I was, um, when I was like freelance writing, you know, obviously like any freelancer will tell you the worst part is like pitching. And when you're pitching bands, you're like, hey, uh, this band that I know chumped, they're really great. Can you let me write about them? And most of the time you're just going to be like, no. Um, so I was like hesitant to take a full-time job, but when I took one, I was like, well, fuck it. Like, here we go. I'm going to ride for all the shit that everybody said wasn't cool enough to be written about or wouldn't get clicks or whatever it is, you know? And so everybody at Noisy kind of had their own lane, you know, like we had, um, this guy drew, uh, who was doing like hip hop stuff and this woman Kim Taylor Bennett who I love um and she was just doing like cool indie rock type of stuff um but I came on and I was just like I'm gonna I'm just gonna rep this shit that I like I'm gonna rep the Menzingers yeah. I was I, I'm I, I know I probably sound like a dick when I say this but I'm very proudly like the first person that wrote about pop in the United States I'm like fuck it I like you this. should I be proud of that yeah, yeah. I, I'm like I don't care and it was so funny watching their reactions like my coworkers reactions to it because I remember being like, there were two instances where I thought was so funny. I was like, I got off the phone with like, who was it, Epitaph or whatever. And I was like, holy shit, guys, we are going to run an interview and a song from the first Lawrence Arms album in nine years. And they were all like, cool. No idea what the fuck I was talking about. Right. Yeah. And, and then I put it on the internet and it was like, obviously crazy because there's a huge market for that even though that kind of music is like underrepresented on on media certainly (laughs) it was in like 2013 sure yeah like i feel like it's it's elevated now and i don't want to take credit for it but i definitely feel like i showed that this stuff that was ignored there's an audience for it and if you acknowledge it in a smart way it will be celebrated and i think there's a wrong way to do it like i just covered this like green day Fall Out Boy Weezer show uh-huh. and I saw BuzzFeed cover it and they were like emo was back baby and yeah. to me like that was so you know that's so dumb but I feel like if you if you meet this kind of music on its own terms it will be uh, appreciated and and the other example that I, I always think of for some reason is Pianos Become the Teeth yeah. like they wanted a premiere or a song or a video or something like that and I was like yeah let's do it and I put it on Noisy and it was like instantly like 10 times more popular than the people second most popular. Yeah. Love people love that. that and I remember my coworker, Eric Sunderman, just going to me, I've never heard of this. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's why I have a job. Because like, you know, and, and, and since then, and again, like I don't want to take credit for this, but I do feel like I pushed the conversation. I feel like now you see a lot of these bands covered on like, um, stereo gum and up rocks and uh, you know when I saw when I saw when I started writing for Chumped and then seeing them on up rocks and then seeing them on um, you know like wherever Everywhere. they were stereo, stereo gum, gum and stuff like them. that yeah yeah and like Brooklyn just stuff Vegan, like right. that mm-hmm. it was a sense of pride and and I wasn't the type of person like I remember they would come to me because they were just my friends who like lived in Brooklyn and they would come to me and be like hey we have a new video do you want to do it on noisy and I was like look. I will, 
if you don't if nobody else wants to do it but also like i don't want you to be a dan ozzy band for the rest of your life yeah if fucking npr or something wants to run this video you should go do that because i want you to be big um and there was you know i'm I, i'm being like fairly generous to myself because there were times where i felt like protective of it i wanted to like oh why wasn't i the first person yeah but yeah. in a way like a band like that i'm like yeah i want you to i don't want you to be relegated to me forever if i'm the like kindling that helps you start a greater fire awesome but like so that was like my ethos at, at, at noisy i'm like i'm just gonna ride for stuff that nobody cares about or like for whatever reason the like pitch for a crowd maybe it's like an aesthetic thing they think they're just like better than it but whatever like i'm i'm going to analyze it from a serious perspective well, i and feel so, like yeah. yeah like what you were doing what ian's done what mm -hmm. david was doing with the av club sure like jake ewald from uh, slaughter baseball. Yeah, yeah modern baseball and slaughter beach dog was was here uh last week and you know like i told i told him that i had such a fun experience with you know they were they were a little bit on the young side for me. Like I saw it and I was like, "Cool, I don't think that this scene is like made for me anymore because I'm not like 20." Mm -hmm. But I know where you came from because I loved Snowing and Algernon and all of those bands. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But to see where they the level that they were raised to in 2016, like. That didn't happen for bands of that ilk five years earlier. Yeah. It wasn't even close. And it's like the incline in the way that shit was taken seriously, sure. I think, is and you know, to, testament to, 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 to what you're like, talking about. To chop myself down a little bit, I think that the audience for it is there and it exists, right? Like you go to a show and people are very like passionate about modern baseball. But I think what was lacking was a central hub where it could be like, um, you know, like if it's on a website, it's legitimized in a way. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, I, so I don't I, I don't pretend to be like, oh, yeah, like because of me, kids started to go see modern baseball or pop or something like that. Absolutely not. Like, you know, pop is an amazing band. <clears throat> and they work so hard so they're doing work they work to build so fans. Hard, yeah. But if, if I'm if I'm helping them in any way to like point, if somebody likes against me, and they follow me. If I can point them to a, a band like Pup, and that catches on, and I'm helping in that way, it's so funny because like when I hang out with Pup, I mean, even the level that they've hit now, they're still so gracious, and they always be like, "Man, we owe you for like not owe me for like, but they're like, we're grateful to you." And I, we always joke. I'm like, I will take credit for maybe half a percent of what you've done, and yeah. we have like a good understanding about it. But we really. I, I, there's there was a time at, at, at noisy that I really have a fondness for because it, um, you know like I, you you've had Anika on the show right mm -hmm. yeah. yeah Anika from Chumped you know like she's doing all kinds of great stuff now and, um you know we, she and I like we hadn't seen each other in a while because she moved to Philly but, she and I like went out for coffee one time and um, uh, like la this year or last year and. You know, we were just talking about this really special time for both of us where anything seemed possible and it all was just fun. And it, if I'm not betraying her intimacy of the situation, like we held hands and kind of cried for a little bit because like yeah. it was just so like that time was just so special and unique. And, um, you know, like when I think of all the bands that I again, like I don't want to take credit for, but there were bands that like I found early and I was like, yeah, I'm going to talk about them until people care. Like, um, 
Kaitana and the Menzingers. Well, the Menzingers were already pretty doing pretty well, but um, and Pup and and like all these bands like that that like um, that that cluster Pup Kaitana chumped was so special to me and yeah. it like dictated like okay this is how I want to proceed. Um, it was just so special and free. It was such a free time and like I'm glad that it happened. You know, and I, I think it sparked a larger thing in a way. I hope. Um, but yeah. It- it definitely did. And it does. Like, that sort of shit canonizes it. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, it's like we look back, we look back at Our Band Could Be Your Life, and it's like, oh, well, the, you know, this is where, uh, this is where everybody was talking about them, forced exposure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, yeah, Albini hated this band, and he wrote about yeah, them. Like, yeah. But, um, you know, I think having that and continuing on with it, that's as much of a fucking testament to the previous generations the lester bangs because lester bangs his writing is just like i fucking love this band mm-hmm. so much yeah right and if it doesn't go the way that like i don't know david frick wants it to go then who, who gives a fuck well, like that's why like i don't you know like i whenever i come down to sit and like write about an album why i think i'm not good at it cuz it all boils down to like i think this is good all of the all of the things that i've experienced in my life and all the things that i've absorbed have led me to believe that this is above that this it's great you know what i mean and so it all comes down to that so i don't even feel like i have much to add to that conversation i feel like all i can do is document the bands and what what it was at the time and i really truly don't think of like what it's looked like from a future perspective uh-huh. but now that i'm doing that in this interview like maybe we'll look back and it'll serve as a document of the time and that and, and in me doing a good job to it doing it justice is like the best i can do you know yeah. so um take me into the beginnings of things uh laura jane grace yeah um does she reach out to you does how does that relationship Um, start that relationship started when i think if i'm not mistaken uh at noisy i wrote this thing about against me and sort of like how transgender dysphoria blues really turned my opinion around about that album because i was one of those dicks that's like i don't like new wave i don't like white crosses yeah i don't sure. like their, i don't like their sire record shit i just don't yeah, bring don't me back either. to the basements i don't care about this uh-huh and then when i heard transgender dysphoria blues like i i can't think of an album that like brought me back to a band so i mean like that album truly i think is one of those records that like you're gonna tell your kids like i remember when like london calling came out like you know the way our yeah you know, um so I would, I just wrote this article, which probably is very embarrassing in hindsight, but just about how like you know I was a big fan and I drifted, and then this album snapped me back, and I love it. Um, and uh, I think she respected the honesty of it, and uh, I think I think I asked her to record an acoustic session at a tattoo shop, and then also to do a secret show. I don't remember if we did it in the same breath, but that was the same day. Uh-huh. They did an acoustic session. Then she played in Webster Hall, and then we did a secret show at Vitus. So we kind of, it's like a pretty good way to become friends, you know, like having this like long day with a person. Right. And uh, and then after that, shit, how did this happen? I don't remember. I feel like I got, oh, oh, I know what it was. I was, I was in Las Vegas, and I was writing this article. I was on tour with Refused, and I was like writing this long article about Refused being on tour with them, and I... She was playing a show in Vegas, and I was there, 
And I was like, can I just grab you for a minute to talk about Refuse? I don't remember why I thought she would be a good source on it. Yeah. Um, but she was like, for some reason, impressed with my reporting. She, she to this day, says that because I ran to see her, she admired my hustle. <laughs> and so, like, I, I saw her and I just kind of... But, you know, we at one point had to... She, I couldn't find where she was. That is why I was running. And she came out to get me. Uh-huh. And she really didn't drift far from her, like, backstage area. She's, like, 12 feet out. But in that 12 feet, all these people came up. And they were like, can you... Oh, yeah, right. sure. Can you take a picture? Can you do this? And, um, you know, like, it wasn't just, can you take a picture? Can you sign my record? It was like, hey, um, can you sign my record? Like, cool, great. Oh, oh, and by the way, like, I, I was about to kill myself, and then I listened to your music, and I didn't. Right. And, and like, just, just being standing there, I was like, well, okay, I'm going to just back out of this, like, Homer Simpson into the bushes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then I realized, like, man, she must get, like, so much personal correspondence like that and and then i was like hey why don't you write for me for noisy take people's questions do whatever you want really i'll, I'll edit you it will make it look good and so she started writing a column for me called mandatory happiness and um i really like editing her i've got to be honest man i've gotten some copy from writers and it's fucking garbage and i have to like polish it and try to make it better with her i mean it, it it was rough in a sense because she's not a traditional writer but she writes with like more heart than most people and i was like that's so much better to work on to yeah. have as like a rough copy you know and so we developed that relationship of like i'm editing her and she's writing for me and i was like helping her and stuff like that and then i got a text from her one day and it just said hey do you want to help me finish my book? No idea what she meant by that. Like finish, like what do you want the last page? I don't know. You know, right. like no yeah. idea what she meant by book. Like you writing a sci-fi novel? I have no fucking mm-hmm. idea. And um, and I just, I just wrote back, yeah. Like, cause like one of my favorite bands of all time, I think their story is like the last great rock and roll, like one of the last great rock and roll stories. Don't talk in those terms. Cause there's, <laughs> there, 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 it doesn't there, need to no, be said. It doesn't, doesn't need to be said, right? It's not, it, it doesn't have to be the last. Okay, sure. But I think of my generation, it's Absolutely. like our most important Absolutely. story. And so I was, I was like, yeah, for sure. And it turned out like what she meant by finish was like, she didn't do anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like, I remember the first, I remember the first meeting that we had, we like went out to lunch or breakfast or whatever. And uh, I was like, yeah. So like, what do you want this book to be? And she was just like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, what what do you see as the story or like the characters? And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, all right, we're we're gonna do this together. So, then. so, so what, did she have a a deal? Well, yeah, she had a deal um, with a publisher, and they wanted her to call it something really hokey. Like they they just like I think I think what threw her was they had like a uh, they showed her like a cover mock up or something that that they envisioned it, and it was like this color photo like windswept hair like losing laura or well you know like some shit like that Uh and uh if you know literally anything about laura that's not her right and she was just like yeah i think i gotta take this somewhere else so she kind of like sold the book like she i don't know if she like whatever she got another publisher for it because if you search like laura jane grace book there's one that comes up like 
on Amazon that's not yours. Really? That yeah, it's was uh, it was it killing me loudly or something? Maybe? That was the original. Yeah, like, but that yeah, might she be it. she didn't uh-huh. like the like whole. She was just like they don't get it. If that you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like kind of like being on a label. Like they didn't understand the artist that they had. So she moved it over to this publisher Hachette, and then that's when I started working with her. So yeah. the deal was already done. Um, but she was like looking at a, not a blank page. Cause she had like scraps of things that she wanted to do and like ideas, but it was really like us, like the, literally the first thing I did for her was start 12 empty Google docs. And I was like, here are the 12 chapters. You know what I mean? Like right. we're going to write this together. So, wow. yeah. So did the, did the journals like, did, did she say like, well, I got my journals from fucking for, you know, all yeah. the way back till I was like eight years old she she sent me like a word doc right away that i, I think maybe i'm misforgetting misremembering but she sent me a word doc at some point that was just like hey here's an example of like a, a like a year of my journals or something like that and i remember like parsing it and being like this is good this is not good and like sending it back and then i was like okay like we need to start writing like send me more and i remember her kept being like okay i, I will like she wasn't ready and then she sent me more, I think. But then I went to see her in Michigan, um, and st- I stayed with her there for a little while. And she had two boxes of journals. And the day that I got there, she was finishing up recording. She was like producing a, a record for this like Chicana punk band. I'm forgetting their name. Okay. Um, but uh, she was like, "Yeah, while I'm recording, uh, I want you to read those." And so I just sat there. And I just read two boxes of another Holy person's shit. journals. Yeah. And obviously, like, it's real heavy. Yeah. And, intense. and I was like, all right, well, let's write this book uh-huh. <laughs> now that I'm terrified. So she comes out and you finish and she's like, so what'd you think? Well, she, yeah. she's still amazed that, like, I still wanted to be her friend after reading Aww. it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like, she's, it's, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, that's that's a lot of, like emotional sharing there's sadness there's anger the arrest like you obviously got very close but you were a good conduit for her Mm -hmm. right like is there self-awareness in in that process for you i mean you've you've edited for so long right Do do you know what i'm trying to say uh well i mean i don't know if this is answering your question but i felt like a huge weight of responsibility and in a way like um um, not guilt, but like I was very aware, especially as we talked about that, like the whole writers crowd didn't think much of me. Right. So I had this real sort of moment of not fear, but I was like, man, as soon as this book gets announced, I know I'm going to get shit for being like, why did this cis man help Laura tell her story yeah. and not you know, like another writer and, um, you know, and I had a response all ready to go for that, you know, but in a way it it didn't really hit me that that really didn't come. Maybe people thought it and didn't say it, but I remember like before the book came out, like voicing that concern to Laura, I'm like, man, I hope people don't like tear me apart because I'm just like a dude who is friends with you and helped you. And it was clear that from her reaction that she had never considered that Uh she was just like, huh? Yeah, I guess I just hire people based on merit. So I didn't really think of that because I thought you were the right person to do it. And with all, you know, like with no disrespect to any other writers, this is the one story that I feel truly 
prepared to write. Like right. I followed that band from the fucking beginning. They were they were my like life in high school. Like I I understood that. Obviously, like with the gender dysphoria stuff, there was a disconnect. But in a way, I almost felt like that was a that helped because I'm so stupid that I was like, you know, she would just be like, oh, I felt like a, a boy and a girl, and I'm like, what do you mean? And she would like explain it another way, and I'm like, what? Uh-huh. And then she would just be like, okay, like it felt like I was like twin souls, and they were warring inside of me, one male, one female, and I was like, oh yeah, a dumb person like me who up until like a year ago pronounced gender with a hard G, uh-huh. you know, I'm like, oh, totally. Yeah, I get it now. And like, so for, because uh, I wanted the book to be very understandable to people, right? right it's a lot right. of people's like first foray into the idea of like gender identity. And so like people should understand it. So for her to explain it to me, a dumbass, like I felt like, okay, r- general readers would get this. You yeah. know, I kept saying like, I want my mom to understand this book, both in the concept of like gender identity and punk. Like you should be able to just pick it up. Mm-hmm. So in a way, like I think maybe that's just me justifying it, but I think that helped in a well, way. Well, I like, mean, just if you, the way you spoke those three explanations of how it felt, the third one is definitely the most poetic and it's got... For sure, right? yeah. And <laughs> so it was... It was, a lot it, of was ways. it was in... Uh, this is why, you know, without patting myself on the back, like why I think I was a good person for the job because that was in her. It just took me being absolutely as stupid as possible to like get it out of her, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that something that's interesting in what you say about the sire records is you have the distinct arc that a lot of against me fans have of they eventually turned it into something that you didn't like anymore sure and and i like that your honesty on that front Mm -hmm. brings you you know into her into her purview of of somebody who's gonna be good for this job what about when you're getting that stuff because i feel like she does a really great job of addressing in the book Mm -hmm. are you being like hey you're not glossing over that because she did marin when she did marin and she was just like like ah they just the punks just hated me at a point he's like why yeah, she was. She, yeah, she, you can play dumb with Marin, but not yeah, with me. You right. Know? Um, but because I, I remember, I, I, one day I'll like like release the recordings or something from those interview sessions that we did. But I felt like that part I gave her a lot of shit, and she was very upfront about it. And I feel like the phrase she kept like saying was like, "I'll say one more thing too about that." Like uh-huh. she kept being like, you know, justifying it. But yeah, no, like I wanted an answer. I wanted an explanation just as a fan, and. I think the answer was that, like, while they did write these, like, punk, these songs about, like, punk ethos, you know, the punk, the punk scene really kept incrementally turning their back on her for just, like, very minute things, and it really turned her off to the concept of it, and then also, too, like, she had other shit going on, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I think in a way she used fame and drugs and, you know, rock to, like sort of distract from her dysphoria and if you look i was very deliberate about the overlapping lines of the gender dysphoria stuff and the rise in her rock and roll celebrity when if you notice it's like when the when the rock and roll celebrity is on its upward trajectory 
the um, gender dysphoria stuff is going away. And I like drew it. I right. drew it with like color coordinate. Like when, when is, does something recede into the background? And, you know, so if you notice like when she's talking about gaining celebrity, the gender stuff is like sort of taking a back seat to that. Where in the beginning it was like more prominent. So like, yeah, I think she was just trying to snuff it out, you know, like just kill it with that. So in that context, like who fucking cares, dude? Like who right. did, cares that they did it? a record with Sire. Like, their story is massively eclipsed by this incredibly more important thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's funny, because, like, yeah, if it against me had done, had been, uh, that was it after White Crosses, they would be known forever as, like, oh, the band that sold out and got killed by major labels. But now, thankfully, their story, in that's going to be a blip in their story. Right. Um, and the and lore is, like, incredibly unique um, personal story is going to be the thing that that the uh, the band is going to be remembered for. Thankfully, you know. You uh, you mentioned something that y- you had the experience of you listen to transgender dysphoria blues, and then you go back and you're mm-hmm. hitting new wave and, and white crosses again. And and when you said that, what I wrote down is I read the book and had the exact same reaction mm-hmm. where it's like oh i now i need to go back in here you really you really help put something wonderful together thanks i, I yeah i i you know it's fun i've been doing a newsletter lately since i don't have a job yeah and people have been into it but i was just in a coffee shop just now writing about this experience that i had um last night at the avail show uh, this guy like came up to me and he was you know admittedly very drunk as he kept telling me but he was just like, oh, I really like your writing. And I was like, thanks, man. And he's like, I just bought your book with Laura. And I was like, oh, great. And he was just like, yeah. And then also I bought one for my niece who is going through what Laura went through. That's who how he put it. Uh-huh. And he, you know, like without betraying him and his niece's, um, you know, uh, intimacy of the conversation too much. Like it was really touching. And I, I... I in a way feel like I don't even deserve to hear that kind of stuff. Cause I was just like a bit player in it. Like I helped Laura. Like I always say that I was Laura's word Sherpa. Yeah, like she gave yeah. me the words. I put them in the right order. It's Laura's story. Right. But like just being adjacent to it and getting the like bounce back, like some like residual splash back from it. I mean, like I, 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 was, I really went home and it took like a, a while to, to process that like laura gets that all the time but right she's used to it but for me i'm like jesus man like i i'm so humbled by it and like a lot of the shit that i write you know it's like goofing around and being uh-huh. a dick but that a book i mean and we work so hard on it so when i hear that it had that i'm like fuck man like that's yeah. that's i don't know what to make of it and i in the same way that i can't care about what people think of me I, I can't really track it anymore. It's sort of like taking a life of its own, and it's like, yeah, it's beautiful, really. I, I love that book. That's uh, that's such a touching story. Because, you, you know, if uh, if someone's coming up to you about how much the book meant, it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Laura, you know, like, for Laura, it's a bigger part of her own her whole right, thing. Right. Maybe people found Transgender Dysphoria Blues. Maybe they found that book. Uh, you Whatever it is. But for me, clearly, it's always like, you know, the book, the book, so... So when you left Noisy, it it felt kind of abrupt. Um, yeah, it was, but in a way, like I was definitely planning that for a while. I just wanted to get my ducks in a row before I did it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was 
kind of a, it probably seems like that from the outside, but from the inside, it wasn't that abrupt, you know? So what was, what was for, you know, what was getting you thinking that it's time to do something else? Um, well, definitely the fact that I'm like, I'd sold a new book like right before Christmas. So Um, so I knew that I wanted to do a good job on that. And with Laura's book, I mean, like I was writing that while I was working at Noisy and I was like, I I woke up at 5am just to like work on it, go to work and then come home and then work on it till like 9pm and then like fell asleep. Yeah. And so like, I was like, "Ah, I can't do that again. Like I, you know, so, but also too, like, it just seemed like time. I remember like you have like exit interviews and they maybe try to like keep you or something like that. And they were like, so what's going going on like you know why why you thinking of leaving and i just remembered i just kept saying like it's just time yeah it's just time you know i don't want to like be remembered for that forever i like there were some really fun times that came out of noisy uh there were good times and bad times it felt like the end was like uniquely bad and it was just sort of like the end and i'm not a person that's like you know like i oh they like i didn't care i didn't it wasn't like that big of a deal to me uh-huh. and it was so different from when I started that I remember on my last day I was like I like kind of just stood up to leave and like looked around and was just like think like looking for people to say goodbye to and there's just nobody and I just kind of like left it was yeah. really anticlimactic yeah. like you know I remember some people leaving years ago and it was like oh my god how are we going to do this without you but for me I don't want to I don't want to send like sound but, but like when i left that site that was the end of the site <laughs> i mean like i don't want to be a dick but like that was it you know yeah yeah i was that site in a lot of ways you know for some people not for everybody but um but yeah so that was sort of it and and you're working on the book now you yeah. got you got the newsletter life yeah and i know that sounds stupid no but way i love it yeah i i think new it's so funny because newsletters are so old school but i think but news, they're coming back I, I, especially yeah. in politics right now whoa my god yeah because i'm on Substack and it tells you like the top 50 newsletters or whatever and they're uh-huh. all like you know feel the burn the burning sanders right. newsletter and the fucking socialist Dave right, Weigel yeah. and, whatnot. and so i think i think newsletters now are what podcasts were three years ago what blogs were eight years ago (laughs) no you were on the you were on the inside track of it i'm still on the the inside inside, yeah but obviously talk about a canon i just mean in in the sense that like remember in like 2008 or so like the early adopters to blogs even if it was the dumbest shit like shit my dad says yeah would be a book and then a tv show and it's like man and then in the same way that like podcasting kind of became that with like Marin and people in the charge and I don't know maybe I'm being too trying to sell it too hard maybe Substack can cut me a, a cut but I really think that like newsletters are going to be the next thing where it's just like oh even my friend Luke O'Neill you know he has a, a newsletter Hell World that he's been doing really well with and it just got published into a book that came out last week that's fantastic so I yeah. really think that like newsletters are going to be the future yeah. in, in, in this dying industry that we live in because it's yeah, we're working. I don't. I don't know. I don't think that there's enough time in the world for us sure. to get into that. But it was very nice having oh, you. Oh damn! Over this is it to talk? It sure is. Well, okay, so in hindsight, how many years in the making? Well, what was I supposed to be here two years ago? Two years and ago. Soon, yeah, bumped me like uh-huh. I mentioned. Uh-huh. Um, 
I should have brought a bassoon as a as a gag. I didn't know where I could get one on such short notice. It would be a kind of a tough thing to carry around. <laughs> is it? How is a bassoon big? Well, I don't know what a bassoon looks like. I think it's there? enormous. Yeah, I think it's the big one. Okay. Wait, you don't know? Didn't you help I transport one? We're done. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, let me just say, if that conversation happened in 2017, think of what we would have missed out on. Dan should be thanking me that he was able to come over now. What with the changes in his life, his wonderful new newsletter, which is available at danozzi.substack.com. The gloves are off over there, let me tell you. And my guy's got something exciting coming down the pipeline. It was wonderful having Dan over and having a chance to get to know him in a different capacity. You get down to it, and he's a sweet, humble person with a real talent for writing and for crafting a story. Subscribe to that newsletter. You can follow him on Twitter, at Dan Ozzy, and you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, rate us, write a review, tell a friend. The website is betteryetpod.com. Email betteryetpodcast at gmail.com. Support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. A couple bucks a month goes a long way. All of God's money, our, po- our it's not a podcast. It's a compilation. It's a compilation album in tribute to Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot featuring Bethlehem Steel, Rat Boys, Lord Stevenson, among others. All proceeds go to AIDS Foundation of Chicago. Pick that up on our Bandcamp page, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. And thank you so much. Thank you, Chloe and Lily. Thanks to Dan. Thanks to Becca, and thanks to Portland. Took one for the team. We'll always remember you for it. Come back next week! Thanks, Bubba's. Gone off, Slim. One, two, one. Share a cigarette for breakfast. Share an airplane ride for lunch. Sitting in between a ghost and a walking bowl of punch Then you play a little hush Predicting if the Leon landing Well, I predict we'll have a drink Lost my money on a first hand Got burned on a big fat king And your ears just won't ring Eyes just won't close. Nothing changes, I suppose. It's too late to turn back. Here we go.
caught down in a southern trust Hey, look at the funny monkey What a silver in his cup In your silver turns to rust In your second-hand clothes Trust no one, I suppose It's too late to turn back Sorry. 